Hey guys, once again, man, <laughs> we're back in the lab, man. Be talking today, man, about cutting. Remember, I talked in one of my previous podcasts about um, self-harm, cutting, self-mutilation, and things of that nature, man. I think you'll find some of the information that I share here today with you, man, will be very interesting. Not only is it interesting, man, it is becoming more and more prevalent uh, with our young people, man. And so I hope you take this information and you're able to share it with someone you know who may be a cutter. Some of the information I do share may shed some light on those areas that are hidden because cutters do cut in secret and don't want to be discovered yet with the information that we provide hopefully you can see some signs man and make a difference in their lives all right all right without further ado man we're going to go ahead and get into this man thank you thank you thank you for your listening ear all right understand why people cut themselves hide it, and how to help. Cutting is the most common form of NSSI, and it is often misunderstood. NSSI is non-suicidal self-injury. Non-suicidal self-injury is now listed as a disorder in the fifth version of Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorder. You guys should be familiar with that right now. We've spoken about that on a lot of different occasions. DSM-5. The reasoning behind this is to differentiate self-harm methods like cutting from suicide attempts because the treatments for the two are very different. And there are three components of, quote, self-concept, unquote. Self-concept is the image we have of ourselves. It is influenced by many forces, including our interaction with important people in our lives. It is how we perceive or our behaviors, our abilities, and our unique characters. For example, beliefs such as I am a good friend or I am a kind person are part of our overall concept. Our spiritual beliefs, um, our political beliefs are all part of our concept. And so other examples can be how you view your personality traits, such as whether you are an extrovert or an introvert, how you see your roles in life, such as whether you feel that being a parent, sibling, friend, and partner are important parts of your identity. The hobbies or passions that are important to your sense of identity, such as being a sports enthusiast or how you feel about your interactions with the world, such as whether you feel that you are a contributor or not to society and how you contribute to society. And so one is our self-image, two is our idea self, and three is self-esteem. Now, for me, guys, I was um, as I was studying and researching this, man, I found that this is some pretty deep information and stuff here. It is important to understand these areas of our self-concepts in order so that we can understand not only ourselves, but understand others, especially those who are self-harming themselves. Our self-perception is important because it affects our motivations, attitudes, and behaviors. It also affects how we feel about the person we think 
we are, including whether we are uh, competent or have self-worth, right? Which is huge for men because a lot of times men, uh, self-worth is not recognized. Their value is not recognized. So self-competent tends to be more malleable when we are younger and still going through self-discovery and self-identity formations, right? As we age and learn how we are and let's see what's important to us, these self-perceptions become more and more detailed, even organized. At most basic, self-concept is a collection of beliefs one holds about oneself and the responses of others. It embodies the answers to the questions. Who am I? If you want to find out your self-concept, list the things that describe you as an individual. What are your traits? What do you like? How do you feel about yourself? So let's take a look at it, guys. We'll look at uh, self-image. And self-image refers to how to see yourself at this moment in time, right now, in this space. Attributed to your physical characteristics, personality traits, and social roles all play a role in your self-image. What about your ideal self? This is the person you want to be. The person has uh, the attributes or qualities you are either working toward or want to possess. It's who you envision yourself to be if you were exactly as you want it. And lastly, self-esteem. How much you like, accept, and value yourselves all contributed to your self-concept. Self-esteem can be affected by a number of factors, including how others see you, how you think you compare to others, and your role in society. And so I wanted to touch on this subject briefly as it implies to some that self-injury or self-mutilate or what we call cut and or cutters. Keep in mind because we will be revisiting that self-image, ideal self, and self-esteem as we go through this. And so I guess the old question is, why then do people cut or self-injure themselves? People cut as a coping mechanism. Let me say that again. As a coping mechanism. Self-harm can be a way for a person to feel something when experiencing numbness or to distract themselves from depression or anxiety or other problems. Some people cut to create a wound that can symbolize their emotional pain while others use cutting as a way to avoid telling loved ones about their feelings. Reasons given for self-injury are diverse. Many individuals who practice it report overwhelming sadness, anxiety, or emotional numbness as a common emotional trigger. Self-injury, they report, provides a way to manage intolerable feelings or a way to experience some sense of feeling. It relieves stress or pressure. Those who self-injure also report a need to feel in control of their bodies and minds, to express feelings, to communicate needs, to create visible and noticeable wounds, to purify themselves even, to reenact a trauma in an attempt to resolve it or to protect others from their emotional pain. Some report doing it simply because it feels good or provides an energy rush, regardless of the specific reasons provided. Self-injury may best be understood as a maladaptive coping mechanism, but one that works at least for a little while for them.
Is there a link between self-harm and childhood trauma? The short answer is yes. And we'll look at that later, right? But it is definitely a correlation. It is a link between the two. And so it is estimated that one in four percent of adults and approximately 15 percent of teens in the United States engage in self-harm. College students appear to be the group at the greatest risk, with rates ranging from 17 to 35, according to the Journal of the American Board of Family Medicine. So, on average, a person engages in NSSI for a period of two to four years before stopping. Someone may cut frequently and then stop for a long period of time. Remember, NSSI is what? Non-suicidal self-injury. So cutters frequently cut themselves and then again, it is possible for them to stop or it can disappear for a very long time. But there's also the potential for relapsing. Self-harm isn't limited to a group, gender, or age, right? Although the statistics said college students usually do it most often. Children as young as 9 and 10, teens, and even adults in their 40s and 50s cut. Various reasons people cut, such as dealing with the emotional pain of having been raped, when depressed, feeling insecure or ridiculed physically and or verbally abused, um, abandonment, just to name a few. There's so many anxieties and things going on in people's lives, whether they were young people, teens or adults. The world just seems to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and getting worse and worse and worse. And the pressure uh, that we have to deal with on a daily basis when we have been overcome by these problems of life, situations arise, we're dealing with multiple things at once. It's just become overwhelming sometimes. And so all of these things causes people to venture out over into areas of abuse and self-abuse. Self-harm isn't limited to just a small number of people. Statistically, it's bigger than we think. It can mirror substance addiction because it's a form of self-medication, right, that someone may crave and may have trouble stopping. Did you know that not only cutting, but people can inject objects within their skin or under their skin, such as nails and glass and needles, things of that nature. And when they began to feel that anxiety, what they do is they press down in that area to whatever they embedded in themselves. It's called embedding, whatever they have embedded and they press upon it. It causes that area to pain, which then shoots directly to that mind, man, whatever that emotional pain may be, um, it, it, it triggers. And that pain that they're feeling helps them to move away from the pain that they had suffered through this traumatic event or this anxiety that they're currently experiencing. So self-injury can murder that substance abuse or that addiction because it is a form of self-medication that someone may crave and may have trouble stopping. People who cut are often described as a specific type of high or type of relief or some kind of connectedness or a sense of calm uh, because it, it has the same emotional attraction as an addictive substance. So in 
clinical population, self-injury is strongly linked to childhood abuse, especially childhood sexual abuse. In addition, there is evidence that earlier, more severe abuse and abuse by family members may lead to greater disassociation and thus greater self-injury. Self-injury is also linked to eating disorders. We talked about that. Substance abuse. We talked about that. Post-traumatic stress disorders. We talked about that. Borderline personality disorders. We looked into that as well. Depression and anxiety disorders. We haven't dived into that a whole lot. I'm going to make a note of that. We will. Okay. The rapid spread of self-injury behaviors among community populations of youth suggests that there may be a contagion factor at work here. Key early studies show patterns of social contagion even before the internet and social media. Hmm. And we know how addictive social media can be in the lives of our young people, right? The influence and the things that they see become popular. Indeed, self-injurious behavior has been shown repeatedly to follow epidemic-like patterns in institutional settings such as hospitals and detention facilities. Discussions of specific acts of NSSI among individuals who self-injure has been shown to accentuate social contagion in group treatment settings. For many, however, self-injury is a very private hidden act. Multiple studies show that for many who self-injure or cut No one knows or suspects that they even have an injury. Anecdotal reports from adults working with youth in school settings report a fad quality to the behavior, similarly to that which occurs with eating disorders. Go back and listen to the podcast on eating disorders, guys. I'm telling you, it's very important and valuable information. So consistent with this, the survey suggests that of secondary school nurses, counselors, and social workers suggest that there may be multiple forms of self-injury cuttings in middle and high school settings, some of which include groups of youth injuring themselves or separately as part of a group membership. Exposure to peer NSSI may put adolescents with comorbid psychiatric conditions at a particularly high risk of perceiving NSSI as a favorable coping strategy. Causes for the spread of the behavior in non-clinical populations have left many wondering what larger contextual factors might be at work here. Recent research suggests that the Internet and the increasing prevalence of self-injury or cutting in popular media, such as movies, books, and news reports, may play a role in the spread of self-injury. I'm unfamiliar with any movies that associated with cutting or self-injury, but... um, I don't know what movies you guys may be looking at, but I don't see anything of that nature. So I don't see a whole lot of it on media. I do see a lot of other traumatic things that are going on, which can lead to some anxieties that could potentially trigger and lead someone to self-injury. So 
I would suggest speak to your children about this and other behaviors. It may seem difficult and they may not be forthcoming with information, but you have to maintain a parental role in investigating in your children's lives. Even though the pushback you may get may involve hidden and secretive behaviors, um, you may have to do it just to get your children or your child some help. With that being said, here are some of the dangers. It is important to know that self-injury is often a sign of other more serious conditions. This is particularly true when it is regularly used or when the types of self-injury used could cause severe or lethal damage, as the case with cutting. One of the most common forms of self-injury, self-injury is a potent risk factor for current or later suicidal thoughts and behaviors, right? And while self-injury does not cause suicide, it can lead to suicidal thoughts and or suicidal behaviors. The fact that one has practiced hurting one's body may make it easier to make a suicide attempt if the distress becomes acute enough. The fact that someone uses it at all suggests that they are you know, experiencing some high levels of psychological distress, even if not all the time. Studies also show that relatively few individuals who self-injure, you know, cutting, burning, embedding, seeks medical attention less when they severely injure themselves. Because of the potential link between self-injury and suicide, self-injury should always be taken seriously, particularly if a person is injuring regularly or using methods that can cause a lot of damage to their body. And so remember, guys, this is why I started the conversation with the three components of self-concept, self-esteem, and self-image, and, and ideal self, right? Remember what all of those were, right? Briefly talk about them real quickly. Self-image refers to how you see yourself at this moment in time. Ideal self is the person that you want to be, and self-esteem is how much you like, accept, and value yourself to contribute to your self-concept. To suicide, self-injury or cutting is often a sign that other worrisome psychological conditions may persist, may be present, such as depression, anxiety, and eating disorder we talked about earlier. Moreover, the scars that self-injury leaves on the body can serve as a reminder that causes discomfort and distress of their own. Long after the emotional challenges that led to the self-injury or the scars are resolved, right? Having to explain to family members and friends, bosses, peers, and other, other people why there are marks all over your body has been reported as an ongoing source of stress for many people who no longer self-injure, but bear the high degree of the scarring itself. Cutting is extremely stressful for those who love and or live with someone who uses it to regulate their emotions. One of the main things that separate people who grow from challenges from people who become perpetual victims of their circumstances, something like cutting and or burning, embedding is the ability to approach the edge without falling off. While cutting or burning or embedding may bring a momentary sense of calm and release of tension, it is usually followed by guilt and shame and the return of painful emotions, intense anger and frustration, which leads now back to what? The cutting or the burning or the embedding, which is self-injury.
Well, some of the signs and symptoms of self-injury may include, but are not just limited to, scars, often in patterns, fresh cuts, scratches, bruises, bite marks, or other wounds, excessive rubbing of an area to create a burn, keeping sharp objects on hand, wearing long sleeves or long pants even in hot weather, frequent reports of accidental injuries, behavioral and emotional instability, impulsivity, unpredictability, statements of helplessness, hopelessness, or worthlessness. So treatments for cutting, right? Therapy can be beneficial and help people work through personal issues to determine what cutting means to them. Dialectical behavior therapy, or DBT, a form of cognitive behavioral therapy, may give someone the tools to cope with and work through distresses. Psychodynamic therapy helps someone look at any past experiences that might have an effect on their behavior and identify issues of low self-esteem, perfectionism, or anger management. Good social work and or counseling, helping you to identify and work through triggers. All these are necessary and beneficial to one's treatment. Clergy, someone you can trust and minister to who are professionals who can assist in uh, allowing you to seek those traumatic areas or events that happened in your life and how to heal from them. Healing management how to do some hard work and opening up one's heart to acknowledge and uh, achieving some change uh, within their hearts so that they can confront these triggers, these behaviors, uh, and heal from those as well. Those family dynamics, those everyday life conflicts that one is encountering, right? Allowing us to walk through these things in order to uh, be an overcomer of these changing habits, these behaviors, these addictive behaviors uh, that causes us to self-harm ourselves. And so as we close here, guys, keep in mind that cutters or those who self-abuse, self-injure, self-mutilate, they live in emotional turmoil, yet they suffer in silence. Even though the reason why some people cut themselves is usually not a suicide attempt, the progressive addictive nature of the disorder can be life-threatening. The more desperate cutters become, the higher their risk of accidental suicide. People are more likely to feel anxiety over everyday occurrences. I'm feeling some type of way today myself, but we often push through the tough times or we're pushed to relentlessly be better by those around us, those who care about us. And so we ought to be able to do the same for someone else who is suffering because these destructive thoughts and feelings of worthlessness can still hit someone who is breaking the habit of self-abuse. The psychological reasons why some people are so hard on themselves isn't necessarily a matter of low self-esteem, although it can be. It's more likely a product of the need for effect, for affection, to feel wanted, to be accepted, which is the intensity at which people want or desire to feel anything. 
positive disintegration is often correlated with a higher degree of overexcitability, which is another way to say that people who develop themselves thoroughly often feel that they are in a state of crisis, whereas other people would not perceive those circumstances to be as dire or in need of a similar response. What does this mean, Mike D? We differ in the amount of desire for feeling emotions. To find the expression of emotion, even if it's sadness or self-harm. To include any of the other abuses we've discussed. To be a pleasant experience. Hmm. At the same time, it calls into question the way that we usually think about being honest and critical with ourselves. Maybe it's so difficult to silence our inner critics because at some level we realize it's our greatest teacher. Becoming upset can trigger an urge to self-injure or cut. Many people self-injure and cut only a few times and then stop. But for others, self-injury and cutting and embedding can become a long-term repetitive behavior. Other things such as scratching, burning with lit matches, cigarettes, heated sharp objects such as knives, carving words or symbols on the skin, self-hitting, punching, or something like head banging, right? Piercing the skin with sharp objects. If you have a friend or a loved one who is cutting or doing any of these other self-injuring things, you may be shocked. You may be scared. Take all talk of self-injury seriously. Although you might feel that you'd be betraying their confidence, keep in mind, NSSI is too big a problem to ignore or to deal with alone. If it's your child, you can start by consulting your pediatrician or other health care providers who can provide an initial evaluation or referral To a mental health professional, express your concerns, but don't yell at your child or make threats or accusations. This only makes matters worse. Remember, we're here to help and to heal. Your preteen or your teenage suggest that your friend or friends talk to parents, a teacher, school counselor, their doctor, or another trusted adult. We gotta get them some help. Gently express your concern and encourage the person to seek medical help and a mental health professional for treatment right away. Always, guys, call the self injury hotline at one eight hundred don't cut. One eight hundred don't cut. In the event of emergency, always speed dial. Dial 911 or your local hospital may require an evaluation at a psychiatric emergency room to ensure safety measures are taken. Do not get frustrated. Do not get upset. They're only trying to help. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Hope the information was valuable to you and or helpful. Goodbye now.